You're listening to Double Edged Sword, the podcast channel of Pastor Kilgo, where we dig into the Holy Scriptures to be instructed in the truth, to stand in the light, and have eternal life. May you be richly blessed by the Lord and His Word. Hey, dear saints, a blessed Lord's Day to you. It is the 11th Sunday after Trinity, and so we have today our readings, the Collect of the Day, and our sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reading from Genesis, chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and away from your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, always more ready to hear than we to pray and to forgive more than we either desire or deserve, pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things that we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, What would be your answer to this question? True or false, God likes me because I do good things. If I were to guess, you'd probably answered true. Most, if not all of us, would agree that God is pleased with us because we do good things. It's why perhaps one of the most dangerous lies that we've come to embrace from the devil is that we are all good people. And if God is angry with us because of our sins, then he must like us and be happy with us because of our good works. And so Jesus tells us this parable, and he shows us that this is the assumption of the Pharisee. He, as it is put to introduce the parable, trusts in himself that he was righteous. You are not pleasing to God because of your good works, because they can never be good enough to atone for your sins. Your good works can never outweigh the balance of your sin with the good things you do in this life, in part because even all your good works are tainted with sin, as the prophet Isaiah has taught us. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. But the primary reason why your good works cannot outweigh your sins is because your sins are too weighty. On account of this, the devil tempts us to balance things out in one of two ways, primarily— First, we are tempted to take the law of God and make it doable. This is what the Pharisee does in the first part of his prayer. He thanks God that he's not an extortioner or an adulterer or an unjust man. And he thinks that he hasn't fallen into any of these things because he has taken the Lord's commandments and made them into a doable list of 613 items. We talked about that previously when Jesus preached that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Second, we are tempted to redefine the law in order to convince ourselves that either we've kept it or that we haven't sinned against it. 
And so we have in the second part of the Pharisee's prayer, his confession that he fasts twice a week and gives tithes of all that he has, but that's not what the law actually commands. And so he's convinced himself that he's kept that part of God's law also. And so the Pharisee does not pray for mercy or forgiveness or justification or anything of the sort. He prays by commending his own greatness. And so he does not pray to God, but to himself. He has therefore no need of Jesus and his kindness, his blood and righteousness, but only the need to show God how great he is. He trusts in himself. He is his own God. And because the Pharisees and those to whom Jesus is telling the parable trusted in their own works to make them righteous, they therefore looked down their noses at those who didn't perform the same good works or the same amount of good works as they did. They looked contemptuously on those who believed they believed to be less than they, because they themselves could not see clearly in the mirror that they were as equally guilty under the law of God. They could not see themselves reflected in the Psalm of David, which St. Paul would later take up writing to the Romans. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. O oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. The Pharisee trusts in his own righteousness. He doesn't consider himself to be a sinner. He doesn't consider himself in need of the Lord's mercy. He doesn't consider himself to be just as evil and wicked as the man to his left or his right, much less the one who stands far behind him. On account of this, he will leave the temple with the same righteousness he came in with, his own, which sadly on the last day will account for nothing. He lifted himself up in this life. The Lord will therefore humble him in the life of the world to come. In contrast to the Pharisee, though, we have the tax collector. He comes with nothing, no good works to brag about, no self-deceptions, no righteousness of his own, no bragging, just a plea to God. He will not even lift up his eyes to look toward the heavens, but in humility beats his chest in sorrow and penitence and pleads to God. And the tax collector makes this incredible confession, this incredible prayer to our Lord. We have in our text, God be merciful to me, a sinner, but it's even more wonderful and beautiful of a prayer than that. He doesn't pray for the Lord's mercy the way we normally do. That would be Kyrie eleison. It's what we pray at the beginning of the service after we've heard the declaration that our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison. Instead, what is translated here as mercy is actually the word propitiate. And here we must remember we're in the temple. There, before the eyes of the Pharisee and the tax collector, is the altar in the middle of the courtyard. On the altar, the sacrifice would be made. 
all around the altar, the blood of the sacrifice would pour down. Further down is the Holy of Holies, where the collected blood of the sacrifice would be taken and poured over the four corners of the altar and on the mercy seat of God, so that God's wrath against sin would hit the blood and not the people. This is where this word propitiate comes in. It refers to a sacrifice which pleases the wrath of God against sin, but it's also the term which refers to the mercy seat itself. It is both the place of God's presence and the blood of the sacrifice which atones for that sin. And so when the tax collector prays here, he is saying this, God, may the blood of the sacrifice cover my sins, that I would be forgiven for all the evil that I have done, for I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. He prays that he would be declared righteous on account of the sacrifice, not on account of his works, not on account of his keeping of the law, not on account of his being righteous in his own sight, but because of the sacrifice that has taken his place. He deserved to die, to have his blood shed for his sin, but the Lord in his mercy provided a substitute instead. This man, therefore, goes to his home justified, righteous, forgiven, and set at peace with God. And he is thereby the example set up for you and I and all Christians until the return of Christ. We always have the temptation to think that we need to hold on to our sins, to keep them inside and not confess them, either because we're ashamed of them and think God will be too mad at them or because we think them not bad enough to bother confessing. What the Lord here exhorts us to do in the example of the tax collector, however, is to faithfully confess our sins, no matter how terrible, no matter how benign, no matter whether we ourselves think they are deserving of death and eternal damnation, no matter whether we think that they are unforgivable. We look to the scriptures. We let them speak to us and tell us what is sinful and what is not. And we turn to God, we beat our chest, and we pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is why we place these very words at the end of the exhortation in divine service setting for, since we are gathered to hear God's word, call upon him in prayer and praise, and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of this altar, let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here we are reminded that we don't try and deny our sins, we don't try and hide them, we don't try and redefine the law to make something no longer a sin, we don't try and hide behind our good works, we don't try and take the teeth or the accusations out of the Lord's commands, we confess our sins, we speak them, we say back to God what he has said to us. We do as the psalm exhorts us. We don't try and hold back our sins from God, trusting that neither does the Lord hold back his mercy from us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And that's you, dear saints. You are the one whom the Lord declares to be blessed, because your transgressions are forgiven. You are the one whom the Lord declares to be blessed, because your sins are covered, and particularly because they are covered with the blood of Jesus. Every single one. There is no sin that Jesus has not died for. There is no sin that is not covered with his blood. There is no transgression which is not declared forgiven. The devil would have you believe that there are sins which are too terrible, too wicked, too dark and evil for the Lord to forgive. Jesus would never forgive you for that, he whispers. But he's wrong. And he will whisper to you also that there are sins which aren't all that bad, that you shouldn't trouble God with, that he doesn't really mind. You don't need to worry about that, he will say. And in both instances, he's trying to convince you not to confess your sins, not to hand them over to the mercy of Jesus. But the devil is a liar, and his lies will destroy you. Confess your sins. Pray like the tax collector. God, propitiate me, a sinner. And God, who is merciful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, because there is no sin that is beyond the mercy of God. There is no sin which is more powerful than his death, no sin which is more potent than his blood. You cannot, dear saints, out-sin the cross. You cannot out-sin the blood of Christ. His blood and death declares you righteous, period. And so he bids you to pray and to trust in his mercy. Do not try and cover your sins, dear saints. It will not work. Instead, trust in Christ's blood to cover them. Trust in his propitiation for your sake. Trust in his death for your life that his resurrection is for your eternity, and that his blood is for your justification. And because of that, dear saints, you, like the tax collector, live here each and every day justified, righteous, forgiven, and at peace with God, not because of your good works, but because of his, for you. Oh, how great is your compassion! faithful Father, full of grace, that with all our fallen race and our depth of degradation, you had mercy so that we might be saved eternally. Lord, your mercy will not leave me. Ever will your truth abide. Then in you I will confide, since your word cannot deceive me. My salvation is to me safe and sure eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Double-Edged Sword. If you appreciate the channel, please consider supporting it by going over to my Patreon page, which you can find linked in the description. You can also find other content on the YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.